Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Tori Crown joins us today from Chicago, Illinois. Tori is a partner at Four More Capital, the venture arm of Henry Crown and Company that focuses on early stage investments in the industrial B2B space. Prior to launching Four More Capital, she was an operator across tech companies House Canary, Atapar, and The Line that collectively gave her exposure across e-commerce, financial services, and real estate tech. And before jumping into tech, she was a business analyst at McKinsey. Four More has invested in digital industrial innovators, including Trigonomy, SVT Robotics, Uber Freight, and Platform Science, amongst others. Tori, welcome to the Heavy Hitters. I'm excited to have you on and to tell our audience about the awesome platform you guys are building at Four More Capital. Thanks so much for having me, Ty. Excited to be part of this and love what you're doing here. Right on. Well, we always start with backgrounds on this show, so I gave a little snippet and an introduction, but give us the color commentary on your background and, and what led you into launching Four More Capital. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, as you mentioned, started at McKinsey, which I'm extremely grateful for. It gave me a foray into really structured thinking and strategy first approach to problem solving. Um, but I ultimately didn't like making a suggestion and leaving. I really liked having a dog in the fight. So after that, went to go get some operating experience, worked at a handful of early stage startups, um, and really saw what it was like to build companies from the ground up. Um, and after that, actually went out to Stanford Business School, where as cliche as it sounds, was really infused with uh, this innovation venture uh, bug that exists out there. There really is a bias towards yes that you can't help but get excited by. And Andrew, my brother and business partner, and I always wanted to go back to our family business and we're trying to figure out how we fit into that. And he comes from a more classical finance background and we wanted to sit down and think about where our skill set and value add best met the needs of our family business. And for more capital really felt like the perfect answer to that question. Well, I'm glad the bug got you because the topic of this uh, podcast is industrial innovation. So com compiling all of that experience and, and bringing it back to innovating in industrial environments. We need we need more of you guys. So let's set the stage then for the listeners. Tell us a little bit more about the Henry Crown and Company platform generally and a high level about Four More Capital, what you guys are building. So Henry Crown and Company is a Chicago-based 100-year-old family business started by my great-grandfather, Henry Crown. It started uh, with a company known as Material Service, which is essentially a gravel company that evolved into what today is General Dynamics. Our family business today actually has three main arms. Uh, the first is a long-only equities portfolio known as Longview. The second is a bunch of real estate holdings, mostly on the commercial side. And the third is a sleeve of 13 privately held operating companies, mostly in industrial space, known as CC Industries. And that's where Andrew and I spend the majority of our time. Our mandate at Four More is to drive financial returns by investing in early stage disruptive businesses that position our family business and our family for multi-generational success. 
And uh, because we're nerds, it's actually named Four More because Andrew and I are fourth generation members of our family. And our hope is through this type of innovation in industrial businesses, we will be around for four more generations. And because of the operating projects component of what we do, it's for more than just capital returns. And since building for more, we've actually been incredibly disciplined about following this mandate. We really will only invest in companies where our opcos can be partners. And the reason why is because this way all incentives are aligned. It's good for us in terms of financial returns. It's good for our portfolio companies because they get the benefit of this early stage innovation. And it's good for founders and entrepreneurs because they're actually getting customers as opposed to just another check, which really has allowed us disproportionate access to deals as an early fund in a highly competitive environment. Yeah, well, it's easily one of the most thoughtful names I've I've heard planning that head generationally as well as adding more than just capital. So so love that. And we will come back to that operating company discussion about CC Industries, et cetera. So um, maybe before we get there, though, uh, it goes without saying, I think the audience just heard Crown Family, long history within supply chain and industrial spanning over five generations. And and we have a lot of other industrial-oriented family offices within our audience who, who are looking for innovation best practices and how they may get started on their own digital transformation journeys. So let's dive deeper in to understand the when, why, and how the decision was made to launch a venture arm like Four More Capital. So could you share the backstory here and how you got started and what it took to get Four More Capital to where it is today? Absolutely. So our inception story dates back to January 2020 before the world shut down. Mm-hmm. It started with an article in Bloomberg about what Chase Coke was building at KDT. Uh, And Andrew and I got incredibly excited about this idea of bringing technology and innovation to old school businesses. And I know you had Byron on recently, so your listeners have heard that story. But we just decided to take action on this, and we flew down to Wichita and spent an entire day with Chase and Byron to see and understand what they were building. And we came back to Chicago and were just incredibly inspired. So we sat down and wrote a white paper about what we thought Four More could be, how it would live. And as a huge part of that, We made sure that we identified allies within the organization and within the individual operating companies who really wanted to get this off the ground. So we built off of something that uh, we saw out there and then really made it our own. Love it. And in specific to Four More Capital, a little more of the quantitative behind the fund itself. Um, t- give us a little more, more about the investment mandate um, for any founders or co-investors who are listening, maybe are thinking about approaching you guys for their capital raise, but scope us in on fund size, strategy, et cetera, behind that thesis. Absolutely. So um, we uh, we invest in series seed through series C seed to series A checks are, you know, 500K to 2 million, series B are 2.5 to 10. You know, we look at it really as an $100 million fund that uh, we invest off the balance sheets that don't have LPs. Uh, Our investments really have been in four main buckets. The first is supply chain visibility. The second is off-road autonomy. The third is new age freight. And the fourth is warehouse connectivity and automation. 
But again, our guiding principle is always can one of our operating companies partner. And we've actually walked away from some really great businesses that we believe in uh, because we don't see that operating company partnership. And the reason why we do that is we want to be able to add value as investors. And if we don't have that side of the business, we just don't think it's fair to do to the founder. Um, we're actually in the process right now of closing our 12th investment. And in parallel with each of our investments, we work extremely close with the ex executives of each of our operating companies to do uh, pilots with these early stage companies. And, you know, some exciting examples of that over the years have been um, Uber Freight, uh, which is the freight arm of uh, Uber, which I'm sure everyone is very familiar with. Uh, that happened in September 2020. And since then, we've become extremely close with management, who we think very highly of. And our operating companies have started to leverage the Uber freight technology as they've kind of shifted away from relationship-driven brokerages to digitally native brokerages. And actually, one of our operating companies has started uh, using TransPlace, which is a TMS, a transportation management system. Uh, which has been something that's been on their radar for a while. And so it was great to be able to help accelerate that process. Um, and another really exciting example has been uh, Robotic Research, which is an autonomous software developer that's worked in the military for over two decades, actually, is working with our electric bus manufacturer, Gillig, to build a test bus with robust uh, safety and autonomous features. So lots of things going on from both the investment and uh, the operating side that's really made this mandate come to life. Uh, it sounds like it. And if founders, if you've not heard the theme multiple times, I don't know how many times, Tori, you've mentioned your operating companies and you guys driving value and connectivity, definitely more than capital. And so we'll take this this theme forward here. We've mentioned it earlier. And then you guys spent a day with the KDT folks thinking about how they do their, their platform value add. So Let's go down the path here with Henry Crown and Company. Platform has extensive industrial operator network and physical footprint behind it. We've talked about CC Industries, so bear with me here. Give some color and dote on you guys. Uh, but spanning the largest manufacturer of transit buses in the U.S. with Gillick Buses, you mentioned. Uh, the leading manufacturer of dry freight reefer and flatbed trailers with Great Dane Trailers. Uh, major rail car leasing operations at Riverside Rail. To major packaging operations, capital equipment, and food production. I could go down the list, but the breadth and reach is, is pretty amazing when you think about it. So all that build up, let's get into more of how, how you engage with that operator network at CC Industries, amongst other assets you guys can plug into. But tell us first more about how you've approached, slashed, maybe convinced those operating companies that it's worth it to them to internally coordinate and partner with For More Capital. And then how do you ultimately leverage that partnership with those groups to both gather real world intelligence about major pain points that they're experiencing and in turn then go hunting and finding those startups to engage in and drive value to both parties? So the short answer to your question is a lot of patience. Sure. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 the long answer is we actually saw it as a three, three prong strategy here. Going back to the McKinsey days, everything was threes. Um, so the first is getting buy-in from the top. Uh, if you don't have leadership aligned with this, it's just never going to get off the ground. Uh, but ultimately, that's not enough because in our early days, we felt like our operating companies were taking meetings with us because they had to. 
um, and didn't, you know, see the value add, which was, by the way, completely fair because we hadn't done anything then. But it was really helpful in those early days to have uh, a man by the name of David Barish. He's the VP of manufacturing for all of CC Industries, really advocate for us. He's extremely forward thinking. And he also credentialized us to the operating companies as well as served as an initial filter for the types of businesses we were bringing them as we started to get oriented on the highest need areas for operating businesses. Uh, the second is uh, focusing on business value creation. It is incredibly important to Andrew and I to position ourselves as being resources for the executives at our operating companies. They have day jobs that they're extremely busy with. They don't always have time to scour the universe for the latest and greatest technologies out there. And so we try to serve as the tip of the spear for that innovation and work with them and never pressure them to work with any of the companies that we show them. It's all about being there to help. And you know, after we had some early wins on the board, whether it be platform science or SVT robotics or trackonomy, we started to build a bit of a track record where they saw that maybe these were technologies they wouldn't come across without us. And because of the investment they were making alongside these businesses, they sort of had disproportionate access to them and were able to build their relationship and uh, go from there. So that really helped build the flywheel that turned things around. Um, and the third thing, which is an ongoing process, is building trust. And what that often comes down to is just showing up. Andrew and I at this point have traveled all over America to visit our operating plants. And it's just a different ball game when you show up in person. Uh, seeing someone face to face, understanding what their day to day is like, asking them directly how we can add value, seeing how the plant operates. It just changes how we evaluate early stage companies so we can really streamline our process to make sure that we're bringing things to the companies that really is their biggest areas of focus. And after you're, you know, you make those, tri uh, those visits, it's all about doubling down on those internal champions and win with the willing. And they're people that we've just completely built these incredible relationships with, and it would not be possible to do what Andrew and I do without them. Yeah, no question. The human element here and, and being boots on the ground, uh, I just couldn't agree with you more. The trust factor, especially in these industrial industries where relationships really do matter, um, speaks to you guys in the case studies. Now you've shown them the value. So I am curious, do any of the operating companies themselves have like an innovation focal or is it really the four more engagement with those groups? You know, just direct with whoever you found those, you know, win with the willing people. So actually, in uh, in the past two years, a couple of committees have come up that are very innovation focused. Great Dane has an innovation center, but what mm -hmm. we've been part of and fortunate enough to be part of is actually these collaborative cross-company initiatives that are focused on research and innovation in material sciences or uh, things like, you know, automation of committees where, you know, this is not new to anyone listening to this, but labor shortage is a major issue across all businesses and in all industrial businesses, but also our operating companies. 
And so being able to share best practices and companies that they're seeing and have tried out has been a mode of operation that has pretty recent. Uh, Andrew and I like to think that we are somewhat of an impetus for it, but I think that's giving ourselves too much credit. So uh, we're just glad to be part of it and uh, let them drive it and uh, then see how we can help support it once they come up with whatever their biggest needs are. So uh, moving us forward, let, let's talk about family offices just mentioned. Family offices, especially those where I've spent some of my career that have long histories and legacy roots in industrial markets, I feel we're beginning to see them play a bigger and bigger role within the venture capital asset classes. More and more begin to set up platforms like For More Capital, like KDT, et cetera, to direct invest into innovation aligned with their broader platform assets. So case in point, right, we were all in Fort Worth together earlier this year for the Perot-Hillwood, uh, the Mobility Innovation Zone Conference, had representation from the Perot, Coke, Crown, et cetera, industrial supply chain family offices that all came together to collaborate networks and resources. So a few things here, bear with me, uh, but let's break down. One, how, how do you think about this evolving trend of family offices, uh, direct investing in ventures here to stay, is expanding? Uh, two, what stages of investments are uh, ideal for this strategy, early versus growth? And three, wrap us up here. Do you have an opinion on the best fit for a, a, a direct investment strategy within a funding round? Is it leading? Is it co-leading? Is it being a syndicate partner? So would, would love your thoughts on a little bit of a mouthful there. So I think that this trend is here to stay. Um, and it's really, it's, it's funny because before COVID and all the supply chain disruptions, that it brought that actually finally personally affected people with deliveries and inventory and what have you. No one, except for perhaps us, Ty, uh, no one really cared about industrial businesses. And they're often seen as unsexy, but the reality is, is uh, the tech companies of today are likely the industrial companies of tomorrow. And what we spend a lot of time thinking about is, so the industrial companies of today need to stay relevant. How do we do that? And it's through innovation and forward thinking. And when we go back actually to the history of Henry Crown and Company, our family business started because Henry Crown was an entrepreneur. He built material service by finding innovative ways to bring gravel throughout Chicago. Ross Perot was an entrepreneur. David and Charles Koch were entrepreneurs. It's inherently in the DNA of these industrial family businesses. And what these industrial businesses have evolved to today are big, simple, and if they're run well, have real staying power. But they are cyclical, and those cycles can really scare off short-term holders. So, you know, we think we've always viewed ourselves as good long-term holders of business, and we'll ride the storm of these cycles and that can pay off. But because of this long-term view, we really can afford to take more risk. And so venture really feels like the next evolution of that. It really is taking risks and being patient, making long-term bets, and then withstanding the turbulence. And so when you think about that, combined with the fact that there is entrepreneurship in the DNA, Family offices are very well positioned. Family offices with operating companies are really well positioned to thrive in venture. Um, and they 
really are differentiated member on your cap table because what more could founders want? You know, when Andrew and I pitch entrepreneurs, we always say we have 13 potential customers for you and decades worth of knowledge. So it, it really is a exciting strategic mode of operation. And we're not, you know, trying to flip a quick return. We're trying to partner for the long term. So that's a long-winded way of saying yes. Um, I'll quickly answer your, your second two questions here. With regards to the stage, I really believe that for family offices investing in industrial businesses, it's as early as you can go that get your portfolio companies excited. They need something to hang their hat on that they can see, demo, feel. But after that, I think that then you have the benefit of early stage companies um, where you can actually work with them and affect the product roadmap, perhaps even incubate and uh, really build a solution that meets the needs of whatever your portfolio company is focused on. Um, with regards to an ideal investment strategy, you know, Andrew and I have really, really benefited and enjoyed following on uh, established funds. As of right now, we don't lead any rounds. We like focusing on the operating value as opposed to worrying about deal terms. Um, I think that it's going to be different for every family office. I will say starting out venture, just like anything, is it's a, a whole new world. And so going in, trying to lead deals on day one might not be the wisest mode of operation. But once you get oriented to the space, it's kind of whatever works for the family. Yeah, well, great insights for all the other groups listening out there. And, uh, you know, I'm a biased audience, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I'm getting reach out every day about new family offices standing up this type of uh, muscle, if we'll call it that. And, you know, we're in this public markets craziness, right? People talk about multiples, compression, how does it flow down to growth in early stage venture? I, I'm not a public markets analyst. That's not my skill set. But what I can associate with is exactly what you said. These industries are mission critical and the supply chain issues are only getting uglier by the day. So we're going to keep plowing capital in and, and are fortunate to have partners like you guys at Formortory. So that's my rallying cry for us. Um, I'm with you. With that, um, uh, one section the audience continues to say they love to hear. So I'm going to jump into uh, what, a section we call what's hot and what's hype in this world of industry 4.0 or digital industrial, choose your buzzword today. But uh, so any thoughts on from what you're seeing bubbling up from CC Industries and or your own landscaping, which technologies or innovative approaches are hot and currently being deployed at scale versus Maybe what areas are promising, but using the Gartner term is always overhyped right now, given some immature commercial readiness. Would love to hear any trends that you're seeing on each side of that. Sure. So obviously have opinions here. Um, you know, supply chain issues really are still everywhere and we might be adjusting to a post-COVID era, but uh, we don't think that it's going away. And so uh, at our operating companies, procurement and sourcing uh, is still a huge issue and we think will only increasingly become complex. Even the most tech forward incumbent solutions out there today still require a ton of manual work and operate with a ton of disparate uh, data solutions. And so we're really excited about that space. It's actually what the 12th investment that I mentioned earlier is uh, is focused on. 
And we actually think there's a lot of opportunity for verticalized industry-focused solutions there because there's just absolutely no way that the needs of a food manufacturer and an automobile manufacturer are the same from a procurement standpoint. And the market today doesn't really seem to be serving that. The uh, the second area we really love here, and Ty, you and I have talked about this before, is uh, interoperability. Um, everyone in industry... 4.0 talks about IoT and robots and um, this connected mode of operation. But if these different sensors and um, autonomous solutions don't work together, it kind of limits the upside. And so ensuring that you've built a cohesive ecosystem that not only leverages the new technology, but also legacy WMSs, ERPs, TMSs, is just the way to actually propel us forward. And uh, I think that it's important sometimes to look at the whole system, not the individual solutions that are coming to play. With regard to hype, um, I know a lot of investors out there would probably disagree with me, but we uh, we are not the biggest fans of on-road autonomy. Um, we think that it's still several years off. Um, there's just so much regulation and variables and risks out there, and we've actually honed in our thesis to be more on the industrial autonomy use case where you're on private land with super limited applications. Uh, you know, one example of that for us is uh, this company I mentioned earlier, Robotic Research. We're talking to them about using their technology to move grain at one of our distillery companies. Um, so we think that there's a lot of opportunity in the industrial use case that doesn't have all of the complexities of like long haul over the road autonomous trucking. But I'm sorry if I offended anyone out there. <laughs> hey, what top, what hype is subjective? Love it. Well, Tori, then we, we will wrap up with a question here. We always love to bring this podcast back to the most important people, the ones in the arena, the founders here. So uh, words of wisdom you'd have for those founders out there who maybe now have heard the story about Formal Capital, maybe raising venture capital and thinking about engaging you guys. So would love some words of wisdom as you have forum split between maybe some keys to early success, entering the conversation and, and common challenges to void. The keys to success, uh, well, first of all, it's incredibly hard to be a founder. So anyone listening on that front, just shout out to you because what you do is incredible. Um, but what Andrew and I look for um, really are energetic experts. And so what I mean by that is founders who are obsessed with the problem and excited by the solution, even if the solution changes. Um, you need someone who understands the space and also has that energy because dealing with industrial businesses can be extremely difficult. Uh, they've done things the same way for decades a lot of times, and um, they're long sales cycles. So th those two qualities we know is what it takes to you know actually penetrate this market. Um, the second big thing for us is people who've done their homework, uh, not only on the space, but they're people they're talking to. We've had a handful of founders actually research our portfolio companies and come to us with how their businesses specifically add value to those companies. And it is just a game changer. And it also really accelerates the process on our end when we go to those opcos and show what the value prop is. 
So that level of thoughtfulness really goes a long way. And because we so likely, we so like to partner deeply with the founders that we invest in, uh, it really is a first gesture on their end as part of that relationship that we really want to carry forward. Uh, common pitfalls and challenges to avoid. Uh, it is number one, getting obsessed with valuation. Uh, I know that it can be uh, exciting to have crazy high valuations, but slight changes in valuation really are not worth missing out on the right partners. And so it's making sure that you are actually putting the right people on your cap table that you think can really help meet the goals of your business. Um, and then once you have people on board, it is always, always, always better to over communicate. Um, your investors are there to help you. And so if there's a problem, they're excited to help more often than not versus, you know, hiding any problems. And if things are good, it's not bragging. They're there to celebrate with you. So uh, more communication is always better than less. Great insights. And I think you nailed it with the, hey, portfolio or hey, startups, go do some homework on the Hopcos and, and bring bring a thesis forward of how you could engage. And and so, Tori, maybe to help them out, um, I know I listed off some of those assets earlier within CC Industries. How, how can they find that just to give them some more color and hint, hint, do some homework before they approach you guys? Uh, absolutely. So uh, we, uh, we have, you know, based on how our family operates, we do like to be a little bit more under the radar. Um, and so whenever we first engage with them, we actually have some internal materials on it. And so when we get that initial point of contact, if it's something that they ask for, or even after an initial meeting, um, we send to them and then they proactively kind of go and do, uh, it, we don't want it out there for everybody, but the people that we engage with, we're happy to share it. So, uh, that's probably the best way to go about it is ask for it. Or um, if we send it after a first meeting, uh, come back to us with something that uh, allows uh, success for both the business and for our portfolio companies. Fair enough. I think it's a great way to go about it. All right, Tori, well, we always wrap up here with a little quick hitter section of rapid fire Q&A. So if you're ready, we'll jump in. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> Number one thing you look for when evaluating an early stage founder within this digital industrial ecosystem. Founder obsession with the problem, far gotcha. and away. Uh, a resource could be book, podcast, blog you'd recommend to our audience to follow in the ecosystem. So even if you're not in the supply chain world, uh, this book, Arriving Today by Christopher Mims, is a great look at the supply chain. It follows the path of a USB port from production in Asia to when it gets to your doorstep and we have, or I didn't even in the space that I operate in, had no idea just how much goes into getting things from what seems like A to B, even though it's the alphabet uh, in there multiple times over. So highly recommend. All right. I had not heard of that. It's on my list now. Um, one person who should be on the podcast. I think uh, Leo Ron, who is a uh, the CEO of Uber Freight, um, who uh, has been a founder several times over, would be a great resource uh, to uh, have your listeners talk to. He's wonderful, and uh, what he's built at Uber Freight and his vision for the company moving forward is incredibly impressive. 
I couldn't agree. I remember when they made their big news into Chicago when I was still there. It's an impressive platform. And finally, Tori, the best way for folks to reach out to you? Uh, emails, far and away the best. It's Tori, T-O-R-I-E, at formorecapital.com. Right on. Well, Tori, we've got our work cut out for us, but I think we're seeing more and more uh, regardless, family office, venture capital platforms, people that are dedicated to these household issues now that we're all watching in the supply chain. So exciting time ahead, regardless of what's going on in the markets. Excited to partner up with you. Thanks for jumping on. Of course. Thanks for having me, Ty.